there's toxic masculinity. And then there's also like all the feminine, beautiful imagery that is needed in Advent, like to talk about birth and to talk about pregnancy, very much a need to talk about women's bodies in the midst of all of this. And feminine power and agency and God's choosing, you know, uh, this young girl in such a role, like there's so much there. There's so much there. So don't skip Advent. Just maybe do it differently than Bottom line. the than the men who created the lectionary. Welcome to episode 243 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, uh, Reverend Shannon Weston and your truly Reverend Brian Burkoff address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. And whether you're a longtime listener or new to the show, um, if you would like more very interesting content for just $7 a month, uh, you can get access to our pre and post show banter. There's also merchandise like a nice pint glass coming your way. Um, go to Pub Theology is on Patreon, patreon.com slash PT live is where you need to go. Um, today we'll be discussing our favorite Christmas albums, considering Advent and um, dissecting various theological quotes. We should say that Ogan is celebrating um, Barbados national holiday today, their Independence Day. Is that what it was? So am I getting that Sounds right? Sounds right. Yeah. So he is at a barbecue on the beach and we hate him for that, but he will be back next week. Um, I'm just throwing that in. I personally, Ogan, just for today. Um, yeah. Actually, in general, yeah. we love you, but. In general, we love you, but like, come on, seriously. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, I want to be on a beach having a barbecue. That's all I'm trying to say. Precisely so. Precisely so. And Not so, that I don't that, love being here with you, Brian, because I well, do. No doubt. And we're both experiencing, you know, November, late November-ish weather, which isn't all that pleasant. It's certainly not uh, barbecue on a beach weather. So what are we drinking to drown our sorrows, uh, Shannon? So I am embracing... I know it's not December technically yet, um, but I'm embracing Christmas and I am going with the Mad Elf. Um, I'm pulling it out early this year. Yeah. Um, so Trog's Mad Elf. Um, it's good this year. It's time, it says. The Mad Elf is here with its nuanced blends of sweet and tart cherries, Pennsylvania honey, chocolate malt, and a hint of mischief. The essence of this legendary holiday ale, along with the ruby red glow, is born from five varieties of tree-ripened cherries. Local wildflower honey sweetens the celebration, and a spicy Belgian yeast adds subtle notes of cinnamon, clove, and allspice. It's not the holidays until you've had your first Mad Elf. Aw, sounds fantastic. That's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking, Brian? Well, I have um, a Nord Sky uh, Session IPA from Black Rocks uh, up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. 
It says this session IPA is loaded with mosaic hops, giving it an explosion of aroma. And at 4.8% ABV, you'll be able to stay up late and watch nature's light show in the northern sky. And so the can sort of features the northern lights, which you can catch nice. uh, when you're up north. 4.8. So when you have a job, you have to drink day drink 4.8. When you don't have a job, you can day drink 11%. That's all Are I'm saying. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Hello. Yes. And actually, you know. So uh, those... thus the need to eat right before we did this. <laughs> yeah. Technically, it is still morning when we're recording this. So, you know, take that as you will. <laughs> Listen, I am um, Irish German. And there was a rule in our family that you could start drinking at 10 a.m. Unless you were still drunk from the night before. And then you could start drinking whenever you wanted. Then so you could just. It is. It is past 10 a.m. So cheers. Cheers. <laughs> if you want to wait 12 minutes, you go right ahead. That's fine. There you go. There you go. Mm, that's tasty. Ooh, that's good. Nice. It's not good. Now it's Christmas. <laughs> that, there you go. The Mad Elf is loose. <laughs> On to today's topics. All right. Well, speaking of, what is your favorite Christmas album, Shannon? Well, I have so many. Or or favorites. If you okay. can limit it to five, what would they be? Um, so my favorite Christmas album that is nostalgic for me is the Carpenter's Christmas album. Ooh. Merry Christmas, darling. Um nice. that is my favorite nostalgic one. My favorite we always play a Motown Christmas when we decorate the house for Christmas. Nice. Um, I also, like, depending on mood, the Charlie Brown Christmas album has to be in there. Let's be honest. It's a classic. classic. I'll take this little tree home and decorate it. And I'll show them it really will work in our play. Um, but my favorite new-ish, like, modern Christmas album is the Oh Hellos, A Family Christmas. Mm. And it is four movements of Christmas songs. And I just really think they do, like, I'm not a big do new things with old songs, but they do it really well. And I think that it's great. So um, those are, I did four. How about that? I did four. That's fantastic. And I have four and they are none of your four. Ooh, exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So not a Charlie Brown. You don't have a Charlie Brown in there. Well, that was number five, but I, since oh, you okay. said it and we're doing four, gotcha. I'm, I'm going to leave that off. Um, Got it. But that, that's definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Don't mock me for, for this first one. Uh, Uh-oh. So for, Is it for, Michael Buble? For me, <laughs> I, for nostalgia, it's Amy Grant's very first Christmas album. Oh. Another tender Tennessee Christmas. I do love the song with the brass that opens with the brass yeah um i don't remember which one it is but i do love that song yeah yeah i I don't know it just we used to listen to that you know as we're decorating the tree when i was a kid and so i still like to pull it out now Um, yeah and then uh a favorite instrumental album is george winston's december 
Mm-hmm. That's a piano yep, I have album that, one. that I just love. Also very I have that one on vinyl, Brian. Yes, yes. We my do. parents do we as do. well. I have the CD. Yeah. Mm. I have it on well, my dad gave me all of his vinyl when he moved to Arizona. So nice. that's why I have it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And then a sort of cl- Christmas classic, uh Bing Crosby. Um mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, it just Hard to beat uh, Bing belting out some of those classics. Um, I hear you. And then a newer one that I have here is, uh, he's a local product. Uh, Sufjan Stevens has yes. a Christmas album. That yes. That's kind of a quirky take, but I, yeah. I like it. I had to go through that one and kind of take out some of them. Um, sure. So I have a playlist of it, but it's just kind of the Christmassy ones. Yes. Um, but I do love that album and I do love his take on things. You know what? Another modern one that just for honorable mention, I'll throw out is yeah. um, even though they're Jewish is bare naked ladies. Uh-huh. Um, their Christmas album is really fun. And it's like Christmas and Ju- it's a holiday album. It's Christmas and Jewish songs, but it's, it's super like, it's just very them. Like a lot of us know the Sarah McLaughlin um, God rest you, merry gentlemen, that they did the jazzy version. Yes. Um, but that whole album is worth it's worth an honorable mention. I'll say that. Awesome. Those are good. And we'll just have to hear from Ogan later, his favorites. Maybe we can get that in a pre or post show of an yeah. episode. And if you, you know, if you're listening to this or catching us on the live stream, uh, let us know what your favorite Christmas album or albums are. Um, before we get to the next question, I'm going to pause real quick because I have a cat who's trying to get into the shed and he's out in the in the freezing. OK, cupboard. so just hold you do your that. Hold your thought. And I'm going to do I'm going to do another honorable mention while you do. Okay. It. So my other honorable mention is a group called The Future of Forestry, which is a Christian artist, a Christian band. But they have a couple of Advent albums that I really recommend if you're kind of into um, if you're okay with like a little more contemplative, a little more, um, and like also some newer songs, they have a song called the earth stood still that we used to sing at church. So future of forestry, their advent albums are very good. I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah. That sounds nice. It's, it's a little more like it's, it's, you put it on in front of the fire and you kind of contemplate the meaning of advent and Christmas kind of album. Great. Awesome. Well, speaking of you can me- tell I don't like Christmas music at all. This is totally <laughs> not my jam. <laughs> Listen, that was a perfect segue because speaking of Advent, a Presbyterian pastor recently not said not it. It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, not it. Right. So a Presbyterian pastor, not named Shannon, recently said, I have zero use for Advent. The way I see it, it's an antiquated, non-biblical season of the liturgical calendar that, when squared up with the modern realities of the season, packs the Christmas story into such a tight box that we do not ever really get the opportunity to unwrap, to fully unwrap it in a way that most people care. Mm. Huh. So we have that quote. We can use that to sort of talk about the merits of Advent. You know, like, do you do you do you see what he's saying there? Uh, do you agree with him? What do you think? So here's the interesting thing. I don't, I don't fully agree. There are a couple. Of, I'll, I'll tear this. I'll not tear, but like I'll dissect this a little bit. Yeah. Like 
I disagree that it's a non-biblical season. I think that there are very clear biblical, or like there's a very, there's a biblical argument for Advent, such as um, the story of basically all of Luke one, right? Is a story of Advent. Now, whether or not we put too much emphasis on Luke one or not is a different argument, but to say there's no biblical um you know, it's not based in, in a biblical reality is wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. Where I do agree is, do we need four weeks of it? And then with our current season, 10 days of Christmas, I, I mean, that's where I, and and listen, most of us who have, were pastors or are pastors, I'm learning to use the past tense, by the way, it's it's a work in progress. Mm. Um, <laughs> because I'm, I was officially done on November 20th. Um, so though like but year after year you you had to sneak in a little bit of christmas right not just in song form um and i by the way like every year with very few exceptions in 20 years i did not do lectionary during that time because if you're going off of lectionary i absolutely agree like if you're john the baptist brood of vipering it up like that's a whole nother conversation. Son of a, see, that's, that's the text for this week. And I'm still sorting out even what I'm preaching on this week. And I'm, I'm, you read the text and it's like. No, I completely like, reject that. It's, but it's a stretch. Why? So spending time on pre-birth of Jesus, right? Spending time on Mary, spending time on Joseph, spending time on, on Elizabeth and Zachariah. There is absolutely an argument to be made that we need to hold on to those stories. It's it's such a beautiful time of waiting. Like, I think that message is important. Yeah. And you're not going to get into those on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And so you need an Advent space to do that. But strangely, the lectionary doesn't very often invite you into that. You have to create your own sort of Advent lectionary, which is, I think, what this pastor has done. He's saying, I'm just going to, basically, he's complaining about the lectionary, I think, more than about the season of Advent. Well, and that's my argument, too. Like, absolutely, throughout the lectionary and during this time of year. Like, I really say that fully and did, I think, probably 18 out of 20 years, like, yeah. threw it out. Um but those stories of, um, like, again, this is, I mean, I know we all joke about Mary, did you know, but this is why we don't know that story right, is because right. we don't spend enough time. And of all the lectionary, the Magnificat is the one that comes up every year, no matter what, right? Like, and yet we still don't understand because, yeah. so I don't disagree that like, our our westernized american christmas culture has taken over like whether or not i mean i don't know about you i saw lessened attendance of christmas eve over the last five years or so mm-hmm. like it has declined like in parents i think parents and grandparents didn't want to fight their kids anymore of uh, like to do worship on christmas eve yeah. um yeah we really str- i mean it was a struggle before the pandemic the, the couple of years before the pandemic um so believe so, it or not we have not done an in-person christmas eve service since 2018 mm. because in 2019 our our building wasn't available 
And we kind of just said, you know what, we're just not doing it this year. And I think the day of like the last Sunday before Christmas Eve, it like lined up pretty close. Yeah. And we we couldn't turn around by like Monday or Tuesday. We didn't have a space, so we just didn't do it. And then the next year was the pandemic. And then last year, um, COVID did a resurge right around this time of year in our area. And we decided to go online. And so like this coming Christmas Eve will be the first one after like four non-in-person, is it four yeah. or, was it, or was it three? I can't do the math. 19, 20, 21, three. So we had three that were, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's been four years. So, so anyway, it'll be nice. What are you doing what? Christmas day? Cause this is the year that's like Christmas Eve, yeah. Saturday, Christmas day. Sunday. So, yeah. Right. So uh, again, awkwardly, uh, our building is again, not available Christmas mm. Eve. So we're doing it on Thursday, which is like okay. not even Christmas Eve, Eve. It's Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. <laughs> See, but I, I think these are kind of arbitrary anyway. Yeah. And why not? Right. Yeah. Like, why not? I mean, I, I've been recommending to people like do a video on Christmas morning, like send out a link to a video yeah. on Christmas morning, whether it's to a lessons and Carol service that you did in 2020 that, you know, you have a link to, or whether it's something you do new. For sure. Um, I, I don't know, it, which is so interesting because my first or second year as a solo pastor was uh, this turnaround. And I argued so hard. There was a mega church in our area in upstate New York that was not having service on Christmas day. And they were like, it's a family day and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, it is the Lord's day. And we come to church and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, send out a link. Like nobody, nobody's <laughs> yeah, like so- last time we did this, there were five people there and most of them were my family. So, right. You know. Exactly. So we yeah. are not doing a Christmas day service of any sort online or otherwise. It's just, enjoy the day with your family. Our service this week was Thursday. That was Christmas Eve. And we are actually doing a very informal Saturday, actual Christmas Eve outdoor carols, uh, sing, you know, uh, gotcha. Um, singing carols outdoors with candles, but it won't be as formal as a whole service. Well, and next year when Christmas Eve is a Sunday, like just do it in the morning, like just have regular worship, And like, this is how, you know, we complain about our like idolizing Sunday morning and, you know, we can't like, this is how we begin to do those things to say to our people, Hey, next year, Christmas Eve is a Sunday. Do you want a morning service or a night service? You get one. Right. You know, for sure. Yeah. There's only going to be one. And I think, and I, I think that like my preference for this year would have been the Friday. So the, the day before Christmas Eve, for sure. Christmas Eve, just because that's closer. Yeah. Um, but I don't mind not having it on Christmas Eve. Cause just like Christmas day, those are such family dedicated times. And so yeah. I kind of like, like getting it ahead of that so that people don't feel guilty or torn or have to rearrange travel plans. Like just go yeah. and be with your family we're offering something earlier in the week that you can enjoy, but next year that will be really interesting when Christmas Eve day is a Sunday mm-hmm. that that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is a, that, that conversation is a little off topic, but I do think it leads to this kind of idolizing, right? Like 
even as we talked about lectionary and advent, like the idolizing the like, well, what would advent be without you brood of vipers? Like, you know what it would be? It'd be nice and pleasant, you know, it'd like be better. It'd be better. And you can um, have a subversive advent without that. Well, so let's, if you want a subversive advent, let's talk about Joseph not dismissing Mary, right? Let's talk about, actually, let's talk about the plan to dismiss her quietly, which was already a subversive act. Yeah. And then the plan to, you know, actually go ahead with the marriage. Like, let's talk about those things, which are still like, if you, you want to do an anti-toxic masculinity conversation, Advent, these stories are the perfect way to have that conversation. Yes. And, and bringing in the, the wise men and Herod, you want to talk about toxic masculinity, bring in Herod. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, and we never, and I, I didn't either, but like, I don't even know that a lot of, if, if you don't do a lot of Bible reading on your own or a lot of Bible study, like I never have preached the slaughter of the innocents. And like, I, because the Sunday after Christmas isn't the time to preach slaughter of the innocents. Yeah. But there is a but there is a place for that story. I've pulled that into into Advent in the past. Like yeah. even though it's even though it's after the birth of Christ, so is the lectionary of bringing in John the Baptist. That's 20 right. almost 30 years after. So to exactly. bring in to bring in um yeah, to bring in Herod and and all that I think is just fine. There's this um just quick there's this wow goose publication um cloth in the manger, I think it's called, which is a, a book that, and it has this like skit for slaughter of the innocents. And it is like, I read it every year just to read it, but it is like soldiers counting down. Like it's like one, like the, like the officer, like naming streets and the soldiers being like five two, you know, three and a girl, a girl. Yeah. I didn't, you know, and it's like them giving the accounting of, you know, who was killed. And I just, so anyway, if you have that or look up that resource, uh, yeah, it, that it just, powerful. it is, it's so like, I, I cry reading it every year, just the idea of it. Um, but anyway, I just, I think the waiting is important. I think hope is important. Like, these are all messages we need, like, we literally wait. I mean, we literally wait for a birth. I think that's such a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And so we, we just talked about toxic. The last thing I'll say on this, there's toxic masculinity. And then there's also like all the feminine, beautiful imagery that is needed in Advent, like to talk about birth and to talk about pregnancy. And, and yes, like also all the triggers around those things. I understand that as well, but there's, very much a need to talk about women's bodies yeah, in the and, midst of all of this. And feminine power and agency and God's choosing, you know, uh, this young girl in such a role, like there's so much there. There's so much there. So don't skip Advent, just maybe <laughs> do it differently than, Bottom line. The, than the men who created the lectionary. <laughs> <That's> Correct. <laughs> Correct assessment. All right. So we have a quote here from um, the evangelical um, hero, I guess, Dwight Moody, uh, who said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. 
Um, so what do you think about that? Do, has God ever made promises that, that God couldn't keep or that were outlandish or that, you know, that reads nice, but does that really hold water? I... Oh, so that's not how I took that quote at all. So <laughs> tell so me how I, you took it. I, well, so like God makes promises all the time that are too good to be true. And the beauty of God <sighs> is they are true. Like, Ooh. right. That's how I took the quote. Ah. Like God can like, promise away because God is God. Right. So like there is the promise of mercy is too good to be true in my world. Hmm. Like endless, uncon so unconditional love is too good to be true in my world. Yeah. God promises it and delivers it. And delivers. But that doesn't mean it wasn't too good to be true. Wow, good. I like this take. Now, if he's saying God makes promises that are too big for God to keep, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's saying. Yeah. I think how I would take this is sometimes people apply scripture that includes promises in ways that maybe aren't consistent with the original intent and then it makes people feel let down when that doesn't seem to come true in their life like you know I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you you know uh, that kind of stuff um, mm -hmm. where people sort of read into that what they want it to be and it may not be that that's what it was meant and it was certainly written to people long before you existed <laughs> in a very different culture right. or context um or i guess prosperity gospel type things where yeah people start taking things out of context and then you know if you donate to our ministry god's going to bless you with you know x y and z and then it doesn't happen or, or healing from a sickness. And when that doesn't happen, right, then it feels like, wait a second, you know, who let me down here, right? Was it God mm -hmm. or the person who told me that God was going to do such and such? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, like given who it's the quote is by, you know, I understand all of that. I, I also just look at this in a way that, um, I think that's the beauty of God is that God can make promises that are too good to be true. Um, I like that. And, and sorry, maybe that's like overly hopeful or optimistic or, but I also think that that, that applies to us as well, right? The, we think we have restraints. We think I'm just one person. What can I do to make a difference? Right? Like we're, we're in this perpetual cycle of not enoughness of scarcity. And, um, and I think that God is continuously trying to pull us into this place of abundance again, not in that prosperity gospel way where I will give you all the materials that you desire, but in that abundance of your, you're making more of an impact than you think you are. And you will never know the extent of the reach when you live your life a certain way and do a certain thing. Sure. Um, anyway, so that's, yeah. that's where I would take it. No, I like that. And if Ogan was here, we'd know he would say, God is not a being who makes promises. Right. <laughs> and I still don't know what to do with that. Like I, I know still uh, yep. not quite sure how to go there, but that's, yep. I, but I also understand that that's what he, or he might say, we are the promise that, that God intends or, or, or something like that, you know? And even that I, and so even that way, I would agree in terms of 
um, saying like, we are capable of more than we think we are. Absolutely. Right. And so that I, I still think this holds true in the sense that like, you know, yes, I have parameters and like, those are valid, but I'm also stronger than I think I am. I'm my yeah. reach is farther than, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads us into our next quote, which is, I believe, from one of the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, Hans Urs von Balthasar. I'm sure I butchered that. I actually thought you did a great job. <laughs> he, he said, what you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God. Mm. So sort of uh-huh. like the, the the parable of the talents, right? That I gave you something. Now, what are you going to do with it? Does, is this good theology or do you do you wrestle with this? So this goes back to, were we talking about this, that there's like this essence of us, this core? Yeah, we talked person? about something similar last week. Yeah. And so like, like be all that, that you can be all that God made you to be or something. Yeah. Yes, we did talk about this last week. And so for me, like that, the first part of this, what are you what you are is God's gift to you. That to me has to do with an essence like, yeah. uh, um, uh, that I, I was, I mean, and I think I said this too, that like, I have children that were born with a certain personality, you know, one was born introverted and one was born extroverted and, you know, like there, and, and you could see that rhythm from birth. So God gifted you with an Enneagram number. How are you going to live out that number? So that's not true, right? (laughs) Like that is shaped and that is formed, but there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, I, I, there's a word for it that, but there's a spirit to a person that they are born with. Yeah. How that is shaped or spirit is good. Yeah. How that is shaped, how that manifests, how that, whatever, like that's all, that's why we have all these different tests of personalities because we're trying to figure out what that core of us is um but what you do with it is your gift to god i do i agree with this i don't know that this is bad theology as much as i don't know how much personality fits into theology in general but you know nonetheless um maybe more progressive theology kind of thing like yeah i mean I feel like Jesus was born with an essence and a personality that he used in a certain way. And I don't know, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you that, you know, yeah, we are given sort of a, a core essence that that is an innateness of, of who we are that will unfold, you know, in various ways. And partly that's shaped by environment and things out of our control, but partly it's based on the choices that we make mm-hmm. um and it's always hard to know how those intersect and well you sometimes your choices are limited because of your context and things out of your control but i do like to believe that i do have real choices and that there are real directions my life takes based on those choices that could be various things yeah and, um and so I yeah, there is a an agency or responsibility that we each have to to be the best version, I guess, or or a 
a better than worse version of, of who we could become that, that kind of we owe to ourselves, you know, and, and that, yeah, we owe to God at some level, like we've been gifted this thing called life and that's undeserved and we have it. Mm -hmm. And how are we going to use it? How are we going to bless others, bless the world? On my last Sunday, um, so we, I finished my last six weeks on a series on the Lord's prayer and the last Sunday, of course, was thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever, which is not biblical. Like it's not in Matthew or Luke's version of it's beyond the gospel versions. Yeah. Okay. And um, but I used the first question of the catechism of the shorter catechism, which is I'm going to change the language to be more inclusive. But like, what is the chief end of humankind? What is our yes. purpose, right? Yes. And is to praise God and enjoy God forever. And like the, so this fits in with that in terms of like praising God is easy. I mean, we look at a sunset and we praise God, like, right? Like there's this, now not everybody can and not everybody does. And there's a cultivation of that practice of gratitude and everything else. But to enjoy, like, what does it mean to enjoy God, yeah. right? Like, that's a whole nother conversation. And to me, that's kind of this mirror of like, there's this essence that I was given that is a gift. What I do with that essence, how I live that out is, is how I praise and how I enjoy God in the world. And that's my gift to God. And this is where we, I think, need to be careful of not that God needs that, right? right? But just that, that it's, it's the way that when your child is kind to another child, it makes you happy. Like they didn't do it. You didn't need that to love them. But there's a joy that comes from yeah. that watching that interaction, right? And um, knowing that, you know, hey, maybe I did something right here or Yeah, and whatever. it's like appreciating a, an alignment of what is good unfolding before you and others experiencing it. And there is joy, enjoyment, contentment glory you know praise to yeah. the creator that's on that's wrapped into all of that yeah absolutely yeah all right so saint ignatius uh wrote i wish not merely to be called christian but also to be christian and i, I like that a lot because i feel like we're living in a time where we need that where mm -hmm. the, it's you know it's in in our setting in in the united states knowing we have global listeners um but and depending where we are even in that large context you know there are certain places where it's easy to be called christian easier to be called christian than something else um and so there's some advantages to that but what does it mean to not just call yourself that but to be it and i think that's the honestly that's a huge challenge of the christian life Absolutely. I mean, this is being versus doing, right? Like, um, well, yeah, in it, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I don't want to boil it down doing to just versus being, just saying. Well, that's true. That's very, very true. No, you're, that's right. Cause it's easy it's, to say words or to claim something, but to actually have your, your actual life bear witness through what you do is so much harder. So I grew up, right. I grew up in Kentucky and Tennessee 
And I had this friend in high school who um, always said, well, I'm not going to call myself Christian because like she had had sex before marriage, right? Like she was active, sexually active in, in the end of high school, early college. Sure. She was in college when she said this. And it was one of those things that I just was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard yeah. that like, you're not allowed to call yourself Christian because you broke some made up rule of blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and we can get into purity culture and all that stuff some other time, but, but I, I tend to feel the same way of like, I can't remember the last time I used that language, right. Where I'm like, I am a Christian, like, right. Like I, um, now maybe I don't have to because I was a, I'm a minister and it's assumed, you know, right, <laughs> like right, so right. maybe I don't have to use that language necessarily. But I don't know that I'm overly comfortable at this point in my life using that language. It's like if you don't. So, actually, let me let me tell this story a different way. Sure. Um, on Ash Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, like I would wear a collar out a clergy collar and I would go to Starbucks or I would go to whatever. And I was very hyper aware of how people viewed me and how people looked at me. And on those days I would make sure I would have like cash for tip rather than just doing it on my app, which is what I usually do. So that there was this visible symbol of generosity and, you know, all of these things. And it was actually one of those like, but I would also regularly after Ash Wednesday service, go to a bar and have a drink, right? Like we would, we would go from the service and the pastor that I did that service with, and I would go have a drink because we were done and you know, whatever. And yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. for those non-clergy listening, this is regular clergy practice. Church is and over. It, where's the beverage? Church is over. Where's the bar? Like that's the, <laughs> you know, but it was, it, so you were both like living into the model and you were also like trying to break the mold, right? Like I'm already trying, I'm already breaking the mold because I'm a woman wearing a clergy collar. Yes. But one of the practices that I've always said is like, I don't want to wear a clergy collar every day which isn't necessarily a Presbyterian practice, although some Presbyterian clergy do. Right. But Same for me. I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't want to do that every day because you, like, I should be generous anyway, right? Like, I should be loving anyway. I, yep. I shouldn't need to wear a collar for that to happen. The only reason why I do is to actually um, disband the stereotype of, Christians in the world, right? right like right. who are more stingy tippers than people that go to lunch after church on Sunday? Like Don't. they're the most stingy chippers ever, right? Oh, like that's man. just the way it is. Yeah. Anyway, so that's to me part of this. Like if you need to call yourself a Christian, then we have more work to do. Like right. And it's yeah. And it's kind know. of like, you know, when you have the bumper sticker that says something about Jesus and then you're cutting people off in traffic, giving the bird and, and launching, you know, a salvo of expletives like, you know, and again, not that being Christian is about, you know, not swearing, don't hear me wrong, but, but anger is an issue, you know, how we treat others is an issue. Um, 
you know, or, or you're frankly, blatantly racist or you're, you know, like, well, yeah. Or if I have a black lives matter sticker on my car and, and, exactly. and I'm not doing the work that underlines what that is saying, then, you know, there's a lot to be done there. And for example, like our church has been working through coming up with some sort of uh, land acknowledgement um as a part of our regular practice and yet you got to have so much more underneath that or it's just yeah. words right you know and so we've been reading up on the history of the dutch settlers to our area and how they engaged with the with the americans who were already living here and mm-hmm. a lot of that was ugly history and we're yeah. needing to open our eyes to that and to be able to say and potentially act with people who still live here who are native americans you know what can what can we do how can we learn are there things that we can do that that acknowledge this in a material way today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely and that i mean that's so hard i mean this goes back to that francis assisi quote or the it's attributed to him whether or not he said it right of preach the gospel, use words if necessary. You know, it's, it's that whole idea of every part of who you are should, it should (laughs) exude follower of Christ, right? It shouldn't have to be plastered on your chest, you know? Um, and I, I used to have this bumper sticker on my car in high school. Um, cause you know, I was so clever and wonderful, but it was like, (laughs) Um, if going to church makes you a Christian, then going to the garage makes me a car, you know, I remember that sticker. Yeah. So like I had that sticker on my car and that's, I mean, that's essentially what this is getting at. Right. Like if you need to call yourself this, well, maybe you have more work to do. Like it, it really, and, and that's not an evangelical conversation. That's just a, or in terms of evangelism, let me put it that way. Like that's, you know, like, hey, this is how I live my faith. And that's a different conversation. But this is a, if I'm just going around with this token, hey, this is my label. Look how great I am. Well, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, the, <laughs> that is a whole other conversation. So we have a quote here from um, James Hudson Taylor, who I believe was a, a missionary um, to the to China or Japan, I want to say. Um, The quote says, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. So just wondering about the theology here, you know, uh, it it almost gives this idea that God is waiting for us to pray before God acts, you know, does prayer or does prayer kick God into an extra gear? I, I don't know. And does this imply that we should work less and pray more I don't know. How do you, how does this strike you? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is where it really does get into the discussion of like, where does God live? So if God lives within me, within you, within all of creation. So if God is in and throughout and in between, right. All of those things, then I actually would argue, sorry, thinking out loud. So I would argue that we can't do anything separate from God truly. So when we work, God also works. Like, Uh. um, 
And when we pray, God also works, but what God may be working on may be us. And so that's kind of where it is. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think what a a quote like this can do is cause us to say, cause us to say, well, I prayed. So that took care of it. You know, like, like it could, we could excuse ourselves from responsibility in a situation because we prayed for Mm -hmm. such and such situation or person or, or need or whatever, when in fact the the working of God might be through us acting as the answer to the prayer ourselves or saying, what can I do? Not just prayer wise, but material wise, actual action in the world wise to, to solve this situation. We should still pray. I think, I think we should still pray. Oh, and we should seek to act. And it assumes, this assumes that prayer is just words is mm-hmm. is and that there is not prayer outside of words and i yes. would push back on that as well to say you know my work is prayer and like my thought is prayer and and so how i again this is where god lives like how i live and move and breathe in the world is prayer um i i don't know if he thought of it but it's where i heard it that you know um, Rob Bell in one of his NUMA videos did that thing of, um, you know, breath and God's name and oh, yeah. how connected mm-hmm. they are. And that at our first breath is when we start living. Cause it is when we first can say God's name. Right. And at the end of life, we stop breathing because we can no longer say God's name. So the idea is that your very breath is a prayer of God's name. So it's, so yes, I agree. There needs to be time set aside for prayer and contemplation and meditation. Um, that is vitally important and words are necessary, but you're excluding all the other forms of prayer. Um, I mean, sleeping is one, I mean, dreams are a beautiful form of prayer, you know, and possibly God's God's even prayer for us in that moment, right? Like, Hey, I need you to pay attention. Will you please, you know, um, will you please help in this way? I I don't know. I'm just kind of saying like, this is a very narrow focus and I disagree with that kind of narrowing. No, Um, I like, I like broadening it. I think that's always helpful because I think we kind of, we can sort of default into this way of thinking, right. Without, mm -hmm. if we're not doing more work to, to, broaden uh, our understanding of these things. And and so sort of the lazy version is, you know, well, prayer is asking God to work and me doing stuff is just me doing stuff, which is kind of what he's saying. Right. And you're saying, no, 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 let's back up here. Like our very essence is a form of prayer. Our very, you know, life in the world is, is God working in the world. And so let's not yeah. just narrow it to this or that. I mean, we have this Protestant work ethic, right? Where we're like, work, 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 work. And that's separate from God. And okay, maybe there's some people in Wall Street that, you know, that are not working in a way that, (laughs) but again, it's like, it's how you're using it. I'm not trying to judge our work and what is work, right? Like, um, (laughs) Derek always says this thing that I guess a friend of his said, every time we fill out paperwork, he's like, paperwork saves lives. 
And like, I don't know why that's become a thing in our house, but it's like, this is busy work, right? This is not important, but paperwork saves lives, right? Like it tells you what you're allergic to. It's your emergency contact number. It's your health insurance, which will pay your bill, you know, or whatever, right? Like paperwork saves lives. So who am I to determine what is a gift from God in terms of my work and what is not, you know? Yeah. I, I did a, um, I did a coaching thing a couple of weeks ago. It was like a group of churches that got together and we're having like a rest and renewal thing. And they were like, Hey, will you come and do these coaching things? And I was like, sure. It's fine. You know, like 20 minute sessions. Like I was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> they, they paid me. Thank you. I appreciate this. Like I changed someone, like not I, like, I don't mean to say that, like that coaching session changed someone's life. Like I had three different sessions during that time, like two might have, I don't know, but like one, her life was significantly changed after that. And it was like, you know what? I don't get to determine what is worthless and what is, you know, I get to determine whether or not this was worth my time for the pay or whatever else. But I don't like, I get to be the vessel and that's what I, that's the gift. Right. Right. And so I don't know. And I would have just considered that work. I would have considered that something on a checklist. I would have, before that moment, I was like, this is just a thing I'm doing, you know? Um, But after that, it's like, I don't know how God is going to work. That's right. That's right. There, There are sacred moments unfolding often through what to us could feel like, well, this is just my job, or this is just an item on my calendar that I have to do before I get to the other things. And any moment uh, holds the holds the the possibility for a sacred encounter and for God to be at work. Yeah. So yeah, James, I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh, well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. <laughs> Get access to pre and post show banter and more. Although I have to admit, the banter isn't as good when Ogan's not here. He pushes it a little farther. Um, <laughs> he'll be back next week. Visit us at patreon.com slash pt live to get started and a big thank you to our current patrons listen anytime on soundcloud stitcher spotify apple and google podcasts our top cities this week are bullhead city arizona what a name creedmoor north carolina and columbus ohio um where they could use our thoughts and prayers what that's is that from, about that's from brian because their beloved buckeyes lost to my Michigan Wolverines oh this got it <laughs> Yes. I couldn't yes, help myself. Yes, they did. No, I just, I forgot that they were in Columbus, the Ohio State. Oh, God, yes. that drives me crazy. Um, you can not, although if you're in Columbus and you're listening, we love you, just not your team. Um, we can, you can watch the video of these conversations on Facebook Live. And if you'd like to start a Puff Theology gathering in your town, Find support and resources at pubtheology.com. Until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. I've got two cats going berserk here in the shed. Yeah, what is going on there? Sorry about that. Maybe it was a mistake to let them in. Let them in? Baby kitty who's 
If the oh. one, if Oliver is in here on his own, he's fine. But uh, Bob Ross gets in here and she's trouble. <laughs> I love and it. yes, Bob Ross is a she. Is a she. I know. They all got mad at me about Adam, my turkey being Adam that's a girl. And I was like, <laughs> what is your problem? 